Hi everyone and welcome to a new episode of this podcast series by the program in international nutrition at Cornell University or as we like to call it the Pin podcast. In this series, trainees in Pin interview leaders and rising stars in the field of international nutrition and global health. Today on the podcast, our interviewers include myself. I'm Nidhi and I'm a research assistant. Hi, and I am Elizabeth, a PhD student. And we are very happy to have Penjani Makamula join us today. Penjani is a senior cluster lead for food fortification at the Global Alliance for Improved Nutrition, or GAIN. He improves strategic leadership and manages the provision of technical assistance to GAIN-supported programs, as well as supporting other partners globally for food fortification. Prior to GAIN, he worked in industry where he was involved in the production of fortified foods and specialized nutrition products. Welcome to the podcast, Penjini. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. Glad to be here. Yeah. And to warm us up, could you please tell us more about your career trajectory and maybe you could start from your graduate training? So, yeah, I'm one of these persons who kind of stumbled into nutrition by, by almost accident, if you like. So my background is, is, is mostly in business. I studied economics and international development for my, my first degree. And the areas that I was interested in when I was much younger was around development economics and the transformative potential of, of, of the private sector. And so after I finished my, my undergrad, I, I ended up at a company called Unilever which is a very large, you know, global multinational that's involved in anything from personal care products, home care products, but they've also got a food division. So I joined them as, as, as a graduate trainee. As it happens on the program, you sort of rotate across all the divisions of the company. So you get a better understanding of what the business does. And then you, you, you at the end of it, you get appointed to a substantive management position. So I happened to end up in the food production unit as part of my rotation. And I, I got on a role as an assistant production manager for, for the foods business. And that was really my first uh, encounter with fortification in practice, you know, beyond, you know, the stuff that I'd read in books. So I was, I was responsible for, you know, a factory that was producing edible oils and fats, and that was fortified with vitamin A and D. I then moved on to become brand manager for, uh, you know, for the foods business. And then later on, I was, you know, I moved sideways to, to, to look at supply chains and distribution. So after six or seven years, you know, at Unilever, I left to do something completely different. So I worked in, in the gases industry. So this is industrial gases. I joined another multinational called BOC Gases. So, you know, the interesting thing about that was, you know, working with a, a whole range of, of industries from metal fabrication to steel industry to healthcare industry, actually, with medical oxygen and nitrous oxide, you know, to energy sector with liquefied petroleum gases. So it, it was completely different. I ended up, you know, running operations in some of the regions and then afterwards, you know, moved on to a more business development role. I mean, I did that for around two years or so. And then I left to go to university in the UK, again, to do a master's in, in business. And afterwards, I spent around a year or so working uh, at a university in East Midlands. Uh, that's the University of Derby, mostly working with international students 
uh, you know, getting admissions into, into the university and also working in international partnerships. I did that for around a year or so. But I kind of missed the option of working in countries and operations. And so afterwards, I sort of left and joined a social enterprise, pretty much a startup organization. And they were setting up production facilities for producing ready-to-use therapeutic foods uh, for the treatment of severe acute malnutrition. And it was quite an enriching experience because as opposed to working for these huge multinationals that I'd worked for before, this is where you could do anything and everything from finances to setting up production plants to figuring out human resources and what have you. So I spent four years and I enjoyed doing that. And you know, after doing that, I, I ended up in international development consultancy at a company called Crown Agents that do anything from you know health, health system strengthening to supply chains. I was in the capacity building section. 18 months into that role, I got an email from a recruiter asking if I was interested in applying for a position in game. Uh, and if you wanted to if I wanted to speak. Out of curiosity, I said, you know, why not? And so I, I had a chat with him and I said, look, I've not really worked for an NGO to manage public health programs. And the position was for a senior manager in food quality, food safety. And have you was, yeah, that's why we're reaching out because we want people who have an experience of working with private sector. You've done this stuff with relative reuse therapeutic food, so you at least understand that sector. But you, there's also a whole supply chain business here because GAIN is also involved in supporting businesses around the world in, in procuring uh, vitamin and mineral premixes that are used in purification. Long story short, I thought, well, this is an interesting one. Let's give it a shot. I ended up on an interview, and all these interviewers were like, you know, tell us your experience about public health programming. And I said to them, look, if you're looking for a public health expert, let's close this interview. I'm not your guy. <laughs> and I thought I was speaking myself out of that interview, but long story short, I got offered the job. I thought, yeah, it's interesting. I'm going to do this two or three years, nine years down the line, I'm still here. So when I say stumbled into nutrition, that's a story. That definitely is a very interesting trajectory. And going off of that, we have one more question about uh, your career, and it's related to your current role as the senior cluster lead for food fortification at Game. Could you please tell us more about your day-to-day -day life and what tasks are you involved in? So it's it's quite a, a, a multifaceted role. I would say, broadly speaking, I perform five key responsibilities. One of them is global leadership. So I am involved overall, and I'm, I'm responsible for managing our work on large-scale food fortification and biofortification. So uh, in that role, I am I represent gain on you know global working working groups on fortification, uh, on boards, on various organizations, but also in terms of the overall, you know, thought leadership on, on, on fortification and, and biofortification. But there's also a strategy, you know, development role in, 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 in there. So it's about what is it that we do in fortification and biofortification? Where are we going to do this? You know, how exactly, what's our approach to programming? 
and, 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 and figuring out the complementarities between the work on large-scale food fortification and biofortification that we involved in. But I also manage a large team. So there's a managerial uh, part of it. It's, it's a whole team of supply chain professionals, uh, food technologists, public health experts, nutritionists. So, you know, there is, you know, people management involved in there, managing their, you know, projects, making sure they are on track. I have an advisory role, you know, advising our programs, our partners, governments, and industry that we work with. But to do all that, you also need money. <laughs> so I have to go out and, reserve, and raise resources for the work that we do. So, you know, broadly speaking, you know, those are the things that I do. Wow. That is a lot, a lot of activities on a, on a sort of like daily or at least weekly you know, basis. But I, I have a curiosity. So if you go to an interview right now or, or if we just ask you, would you consider now that you are a public health person or, yeah, public health and nutrition person? I like to say that I belong to both worlds. I'm surrounded by nutritionists. I speak the language of nutrition more than the, any, any other language that I used to speak in my area career. So I describe myself as a food fortification expert, and food fortification is public health. So make that what you will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, so how do you... How different it is to work in the in your previous experience in the industry, especially with those big uh, companies and and start um, and an entrepreneurship, compared to what you're doing now with Gain. And um, connected to that, you mentioned that you miss working in different countries. You know, when you were at the university, you were missing going to like the countries and implementing things and sort of like doing all the logistics. Do you get a bit of that uh, in your current position now with Gain? So I would say how different, in fact, I must say I've got the best of both worlds. Think about it this way. Fortification is a public health intervention, but that's done by the private sector. Governments don't fortify. Governments don't produce food. The private sector does. And so what you do is, you know, building these partnerships between the public and private sector. You're going to have to understand what, what the motivations in private sector are, what is it that they're aiming for, and also understand what you know public health community is, 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 is trying to achieve, what government. So it's a nice sweet spot because it sort of ticks a lot of the boxes that I was interested in in terms of development, you know, private sector development, economics, and, and what have you. So, so it, it's, it's different in the sense that it's not just one or the other but it's a combination of all the things that you know I like doing. Do I get to travel? Yes, quite a bit. Uh, the last two, three years less so because of the pandemic. But I must say that you know most of the travel is getting back. I kind of surprised myself at the beginning of the year where I found myself in five different countries in over a period of five weeks. So that's not very usual, <laughs> I, I, I must say. But maybe it's it's a byproduct of having sat at home during the pandemic for quite a long time. And and how do you how do you manage that? I mean, it's a lot of travel, a lot of different commitments, and what you were describing before in, in with different teams, different activities, trying to gain funds, etc. So how do you balance all those commitments uh, in in your in your life? <laughs> you know, it's a great question. I mean, I think um, I, I would say that in the earlier days, I used to do a bit more traveling than I do now. 
because I've got much more responsibilities that I have got to attend to. But it's also about realizing that this is a team sport. You can't do it all yourself. And so for some travel, there will always be relevant people that will have to go out and do, and then being able to pick and choose you know, what makes sense. Because at the end of the day, you're going to have to balance you know, the various responsibilities. But even when you are traveling, you know, being able to kind of segment some time to say, yes, I'm out in the field but I'm going to have to make these two or three hours to attend to these other issues and being able to deliver on them. Because otherwise, if you're 100% out there in the field, you know, by the time you come back, there's stuff that's piling up and there's some stuff that, you know, people need to help with urgently and you're going to have to manage both. Wow. I can see that those are very busy, busy trips. Um, and, and, this is, I think, uh, for us very interesting because you have such a such a different perspective. Working, having worked with the private sector and continue those partnerships, and having this opportunity with different countries and see how sort of like the inner works of of biofortification and and food and fortification. So, in your experience traveling and in partnership with all these different agents. What do you think are the sort of priorities for the future or, or do you have any insights in terms of how things are working and, and, and where are they going? So if you look at it from the two programs that I've been speaking about, they are very different labels, right? Biofortification, you would say it's almost that it's, it's in infancy. It's been around for the last 20 years. A lot of that time, it was mostly R&D you know, the concept of proven, there's various varieties out there. So it's around how do you get farmers growing biofortified crops and getting them to scale? So with biofortification, it's it's really a huge scaling challenge in terms of how much you produce and get out there. So that's, that's a big priority. Fortification on the other side has been around for the last 100 years, right? Since the 1920s when it started in the U.S. at and Switzerland. And so, you know, there's 144 countries that fortify at least one or more foods. But what is it that we see? We see coverage not being great uh, in some countries. So, you know, how do we push coverage of fortified foods? We see fortified foods that have been fortified, but not fortified according to national standards. And so it's around improving quality. But it's also, you know, how do we evaluate programs to look at impact? How do we cost correct? So it's different in, in that sense that, yeah, fortification is more mature. Yes, some, some countries still need uh, fortification programs, but by fortification, on the, on the other hand, a lot of what we're trying to do and prioritizing is being able to take it to scale. Yeah, thank you for sharing all the insights from your travel and I was just wondering if we could go back to your student days and you did mention that your training was not particularly in nutrition and public health, but if you could share some insights that you gained from your graduate training about just being in a position like you are at GAIN today, how did your graduate training help you in the positions that you've held all throughout your career and if you have any insights from those days? So... I'd say two things. One is critical thinking. One of the things about you know being doing graduate studies is you're gonna have to 
develop abilities in, in critical thinking. You, so never ever lose that. You, you, you come into the working place, you will find these are the ways how we do stuff. And this is how we do stuff in the sector. You know, never lose your curiosity, still maintain that, ask the questions, why? And, and you, know, you know, by all means, you will find sometimes people don't have a very good answer about what they're doing, what they're doing. But there is also evidence-based, right? We all trained to follow the evidence and use the evidence. But there is caution that I want to offer. Understand where the evidence came from and understand the circumstances and environment that you are in. Uh, a lot of bad practice I've seen has also come from people you know, claiming here is the evidence. It worked in X. But it's a very it's a completely different context. Why did it work there and why will it think? So people use evidence based sometimes as a way to get stuff done without proper thought. So you know, always question that. Don't don't take evidence based as always, you know, the gospel truth, because it may not be. You always have to look at how you adapt to your circumstances. Certainly. And here at Cornell, we are very focused on evidence-based research. And I assume many listeners of this podcast are also trainees of international nutrition or evidence-based research in public health. So one more question about your days as a graduate trainee. Are there any instances that you can particularly think of where you felt like it was a moment of realization that these are the priority areas you wanted to focus on or something that you would like the students of public health and international nutrition to take away as um, an advice from you? I think the one advice I'll give to students is broaden your horizon. You tend to be surrounded by people doing the same course as you. Uh, you speak the same language. You're taking the same courses. You're trained to do stuff in a particular way. But, you know, Avoid ending up in an echo chamber where you're speaking to, you know, the same people, the same interests and what have you. Look at what are the complementary areas in your field. Make a deliberate effort to reach out. You know, what I'm saying is life, what, what I've discovered is life is much broader than the one discipline that you know about. And the more you know about complementary disciplines or indeed disciplines that are looking at problems that you have, but from a completely different perspective, it, it, it's always helpful because it broadens your horizons and it doesn't limit you to one particular thing. Thank you for that. I think that's something, it's good to be constantly reminded of that. I feel sometimes we do get into this bubble of our, our usual context, um, especially at the university in academia. But we are running out of time and we have a traditional question that we like to include in our podcast. And so before we, we let you go, could you please tell us a bit about what you like the best and what you like the least about, about your current position? I think the one thing that I like the best about the nature of my role is the diversity of staff. I get to work on policy, on legislation, on food processing, on nutrition, on, on the politics. So it's diverse. And people that come with a technical background and thinking, I'm a food technologist and this is what I'm going to do, 
they kind of realized very quickly that they're going to spend 30% of their start time on the full technology and 80% on all these other. So, so that's the one thing that I like, you know, the best. The least thing is, is the time. Time doesn't all time doesn't always seem to to be enough to do everything, and we live in this Zoom world now, where there's just too many meetings about moving from one meeting to the other, and you know time is such a big constraint. Definitely, I think you're leaving with a note that we all can relate to time. It's just not enough, no matter how much we want to do, and for all the things that we aim to do. We just don't have enough time, especially in the Zoom world. Um, well, and that is it for today's podcast. Thank you so much for chatting with us today, Penjin. Thank you very much. And thanks for inviting me. Yeah. And thank you to the listeners of this podcast. Stay tuned for more insightful conversations with amazing researchers in international nutrition and global health. Thanks for listening.